biblical scholar Nina Herman reflects on what it means completing what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, so I hope to give a reflection on the famous verses of St. Paul that I think are at the heart of love crucified. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for, for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. It might have already happened to some of you that when you speak to people outside of the community, maybe in confession or other encounters with people in the church, that you're being told that it is impossible for St. Paul and us to add anything to the sufferings of Christ because Christ's sacrifice is perfect. And the scriptures say in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, and that is a verse that the Protestants will often uh, quote, there is one God and there is also one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus. And so there is no other mediator between God and man than Jesus Christ. And he has redeemed the world in his cross. There's nothing we human beings can add to Christ's sufferings. And that is a heresy, but is a heresy that is very widespread in the church. And so I think it's very important that we understand why we are in fact called, each and every one of us, to complete what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, namely Christ's body, which is the church. So my argument is very, very simple. As everything in the in the gospel is simple, um, and it takes three steps. Number one, Jesus redeemed the world through the instrument of his human body. That's dogma. Uh, Christ's humanity is the instrument with which he redeemed the world. For example, you find that in Colossians 1.22, where St. Paul writes, Christ has now reconciled us in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before himself and the Father. The question, however, is who is Christ's body? Is that just the Jesus of Nazareth who lived from the year zero to the year 33 AD? That's what people tend to think. But we forget that G the Christ, the humanity with which Jesus redeemed us on the cross, is not only the body of Jesus of Nazareth who lived for those 33 years in Galilee and Jerusalem, but already, because of her immaculate conception, it is also the body of Christ, Mary. That's why we call her the co-redemptrix, and on account of our baptism, we have been incorporated into the body of Christ. And therefore, even though we are suffering now, 2,000 years later, 
our sufferings and particularly those sufferings that we embrace and we say yes to and unite with his sufferings were present with him on the cross. Now, how does that work? That is the third step. So the first one was the instrument of redemption is Christ's body. The second is through our baptism, we have been incorporated into Jesus' body. And the third step is it's through the mystery of the Eucharist that our sufferings are united to the sufferings of Christ. Wherefore, Marino Restrepo, whom some of you might know, speaks about the Christian life as a vocation of being um, uh, instrumentos de reparación eucarística, <laughs> instruments of Eucharistic, Eucharistic reparation. reparation. Uh -huh. Okay, so those are my three steps. Father Jordi, if I'm too quickly, you make a sign, but he seems to be doing well. Um, so, how does atonement work according to the Bible? That's maybe the only part where I have something new to tell you. Um, the New Testament makes it very clear that at the heart of the mystery of redemption, redemption encompasses many things. Like the fruit of our redemption is that Christ delivered us from sin, death, and the devil. We are now children of the Father. We have been divinized, many things. But all these are only the fruit of one act, and that is Christ's act of atonement on the cross. And to explain Christ's act of atonement on the cross, the New Testament uses four Old Testament prefigurations. The most important one, or the one we know best, is the, the Paschal Lamb, when St. John says in, in the beginning of the Gospel, John chapter 129, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John is here making allusion to the Passover lamb, the blood of which redeemed the Israelites from the angel of death in the night of the Exodus. The second one is, of course, the suffering servant, about whom it is said that he became a sin offering for us. A sin offering is explained in the book of Leviticus. That is an animal that is slaughtered and its blood is applied to the altar and Israel is redeemed or forgiven its sins through that blood. I'll come back to this. In conjunction to this, we have the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. You probably know that at the Yom Kippur, there are two goats. One is the famous scapegoat that is sent into the desert. But the much more important one is the other goat, which is offered to God as a holocaust. And again, here, the blood of the, that goat is sprinkled on the altar. And that is the more important prefiguration of Christ's death because of the blood that is applied to the altar. I'll come back to this. The fourth is um i said um 
Oh, the, the fourth prefiguration is, of course, the blood of the old covenant. When Moses at Mount Sinai sealed the covenant between God and the people, he took blood and applied it to the order. So if you've been paying attention, I've been stressing very much this act of blood that is being applied to the order. And that is the one thing that the four different prefigurations of Christ's death have in common, a blood rite. This blood rite is very interesting because what happens? We, we, uh, no. So what happens according to the Old Testament sacrifices is the following. There are certain sins that one can repair. For example, if I steal Lourdes car and I repent, I can give it back and I can make up for it by giving her even an extra car. That is what Zacchaeus does when he pays back, you know, when he says to the Lord, I'll give back fourfold. He's, he's paying back everything he has stolen from the people and he gives even back fourfold. So he's making up for it. But there are certain sins that cannot be repaired because our sin has brought, because the sin is so bad that it brings us death. And that is the state of humanity after original sin. The wages of sin is death. For these cases, man knows he has to atone, but he the only way to atone would be to give my own life back to God because I have forfeited it through my sin. Now, I can't give my life back without dying. So I take an animal, and what happens now is that the priest puts his hand on the animal, and the significance of that is not, as one would think, like in the scapegoat, right, that the sin is put on the animal and then the animal burned. No. The person is identified with the animal. And then when I when the animal is slaughtered and the blood of the animal is is splashed on the altar, the significance is that I and the animal have become one subject so that the blood that is splashed on the altar is, so to say, my blood. It substitutes for my blood. And then what happens, according to Exodus chapter 29, verse 37, whatever touches the altar is sanctified because the altar is God. And so what happens is that the blood is sanctified through the holiness of God. And therefore, new life is given through death. I give my life to the Lord. My life substituted in this animal, the blood touches the altar. And while the animal dies, because it touches the altar, it's divinized symbolically. Of course, in the Old Testament, it's only a symbol that tries to express the mystery, which then in the New Testament, obviously becomes a reality. Because in the New Testament, it's all of us who are, Christ becomes that sacrificial anim, animal, quote unquote, the lamb for us. He identifies himself with all of us. We are fully present in his sacrifice. And on the cross, which becomes 
both the altar and the mercy seat, which is his humanity, his own blood is spilled, but my blood is in it. And so through the humanity of Christ, I come into touch with Christ's divinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think as Lourdes has so beautifully pointed out in one of her um, teachings, that the blood of Christ is the sacrament of the Holy Spirit. And that's why the blood of Christ both purifies and sanctifies us. And so all of this happened 2000 years ago on the cross, but when does it become a reality in my life? First and foremost in my baptism, because that is the moment that Christ, the sacrificial animal, identifies himself with me or allows me to identify myself with him and enter his total gift to the Father, which is the moment that he is, he is slain and his own blood is poured out. And so that is why um, St. Paul will insist that in baptism, we have been baptized into Christ's death. Like he says in Romans 6, for example, 6, 3 and 4, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him in baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness, newness of life. Same mystery he expresses in Colossians, chapter 2, verse 12, where he says, When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. So that moment of identification between me and Christ First happens in baptism. I die with him. I'm cleansed from my sin. I rise with him. And now I live as St. Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So while before I was like a monad living my subjective personal life, cut off from everybody else through sin, now I'm suddenly one with Christ, but because Christ is no longer just the Jesus of Nazareth, but the entirety of the church, all of us are members of the very same body. As St. Paul says, don't you know that you are the body of Christ? Now, Jesus died once and for all 2,000 years ago. So how is it possible that we who are members of his risen body participate in the Eucharist, in his, in his sacrifice? And there the answer is the Eucharist. Because as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, he says, he, he speaks about the institution and he says, and when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, 
this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he uses a term that was very familiar to the Jews because he uses the Hebrew term le zikaron. And for 1200 years, the Jews already knew this remembrance, even in the Jewish liturgy, they had to celebrate the Passover every year in remembrance of the Exodus. And the Jews had the consciousness that whenever they celebrated the Passover in remembrance, it was as if they were personally leaving Egypt and being delivered. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, it implies that whenever we celebrate the Eucharist, we are present at Calvary with Mary Magdalene and Mary at the foot of the cross. And we're fully entering into the mystery of his death and resurrection. And so therefore, the church puts such a big emphasis on the moment of the offering. When the pre, when we bring our offerings to the altar, they are, of course, only symbols for ourselves, giving ourselves into Christ's, the renewal of Jesus offering of himself to the Father. But this time, he's not by himself. We are all with all our sufferings and our joys and everything that we freely unite with Christ participates now at Calvary, in the most real sense that only the mystics can see and we can only believe and see in prayer. And I uh, I found, this has always been, this is the, the, the theology of the church and it's, it's even in, still in our current mass, we express this. But before I go to our current prayer, I want to read to you a beautiful quotation from St. Albert Magnus, the teacher of St. Thomas, who lived, um, I think, in the 11th century. And he explains the Mass and he explains the offering. And so he says that when the priest at the beginning of the Eucharistic prayer turns to us and says, the Lord be with you, St. Albert explains the celebrant says, the Lord is with you, turning to the people. The Lord, I say, is with you, so that you may be offered as a sacrifice to God. The Lord be with you, that you may be affected by the taste of the offering. The Lord is with you so that you may be incorporated into the sacrificial offering. For the Lord is with you when you offer yourselves to him and he accepts you. When he incorporates you into his sacrifice, when he makes you one and unites you with him. Then St. Albert continues and says, 
he says, the priest says, let us pray. Because a great and efficacious and pure prayer is required in order that the people may be incorporated into the body of Christ and offered to God. For prayer is the pious affection of the mind directed towards God, and the people to be offered to the Lord must first be lifted up to him with all their affection, so that they may become a sacrifice worthy of God. So wherever the liturgy and St. Albert say, Sacrifice, in your language, it is victim. It's the exact same thing. Then St. Albert's continues. Um, there is a moment when the priest remembers all the living. And then he says, Lord, and remember all those who are gathered here before you in the mass. And who are already offering themselves as a sacrifice, as a victim. As they, you, as they themselves are offering the sacrifice so that they themselves may be offered to you, Father, in union with the sacrifice of Christ. And then St. Albert quotes as a proof St. Paul, who says in Romans 12:1, I beseech you, my brothers and sisters, through the mercy of God, that you may present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, full stop. And the very same prayer is still said by our priests nowadays in the mass that we celebrate every day. When the priest says, look, O Lord, upon the sacrifice which you yourself have provided for your church, and grant in your loving kindness to all who partake of this one bread and one chalice that gathered into one body by the Holy Spirit, they may truly become a living sacrifice in Christ to the praise of your glory. So in other words, the church prays that in uniting our sufferings to Christ at the moment of the offering, we will be transformed into a living victim united with Christ to the glory of the Father and the salvation of the world. So, in conclusion, I want to direct your minds to the book of Revelation, where this mystery is once again kind of painted for us in very beautiful uh in, in, a, in a symbolic mystical way where saint john the visionary sees the opening of the fifth seal and then he says i saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slaughtered for the word of god and for the testimony they had given and the meaning is that the souls of the martyrs, be it in blood or the white martyrdom, are at that place on the altar where the blood of the sacrificial lamb had been splashed in the old covenant. So where in, in the old covenant, you have the blood of the animal. In the new covenant, in the heavenly temple, it's us who have become these victim souls and martyrs who, whose blood has been splashed to the altar 
which which shows that our own blood and sufferings have become uh, victim souls, victim animals for the salvation of all those who are still uh, fighting. So I want to end uh, this little reflection with uh, the prayer of a saint that some of you might know. He's a Vietnamese redemptorist brother mystic and martyr, and his name is Marcel Van. He prays, O Jesus, you died through love, and now you're still greedy for sufferings in the heart of the one you love. So Marcel Van and Jesus have a very, very sweet and dearing relationship. And Marcel Van will always reproach Jesus for being so greedy for sufferings. (laughs) And so he says, You died for love and you're still greedy for sufferings in the heart of the one you love, me, Marcel Van. And then he says, I offer my heart to you without regret to welcome with you dishonor and sadness, to fall with you on the way to support the multitude of men and lift up the sinful soul, to atone with you the sins which do not cease to accumulate each day. Yes, I wish to mingle a little of my blood with the blood of your divine heart for the purification of souls. Amen. Amen. Thank you.